This is Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson. Hello, basketball fans. It is your favorite time of the week, a brand spanking new episode of your ESPNW podcast, women's basketball podcast, Around the Rim. I am your host, LaChina Robinson, joined by my fantastic, fabulous producer, Sarika Foster-Brasby, our co-host Devereaux Peters, uh, the two-time WNBA champ, is unable to be with us because bottom line is Dev has 75 jobs. So, she really is Jamaican. I know she is. I mean, she retired <laughs> and decided to, uh, yeah, just get her hands wet in everything. So she is off doing Devereaux things, which we're proud of her. You know, she's always doing something great. But she will not be on the show uh, this week. So Tariq and I will be holding it down. We have some special guests joining us. We will hear from Chicago Sky guard Diamond DeShields as the sky is, wow, making moves up the standings. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. Um, we also have our... Pat Summit tribute in the fourth quarter that you won't want to miss the anniversary of the late great head coach of the Tennessee Lady Vols, Pat Summit's death is Friday, June 28th. So we've got some people that are sharing memories in the fourth quarter from an old show. Uh, and then Tamika Catchings, the VP of basketball operations for the Indiana Fever, will be joining us. And so we've got a great show. Um, I just wanted to quickly go through the WNBA standings for those fans. We have some fans that tune in and I'm going to work on y'all, but you tune into the podcast, but you're not really watching games. Y'all need to be watching games. Okay. So if you haven't been paying attention, the Connecticut sun is number one in the league at nine and two, uh, the Washington mystics. And we will talk about the sun actually in the first quarter. Um, the Washington mystics are eight and three. They just beat, uh, Chicago, actually, today on the road, Mystics have won four in a row all on the road. So Mike Tebow's team has really hit their stride. Uh, the Las Vegas Aces, six and four, third in the league, won two in a row. Chicago Sky, six and four as well. Seattle Storm, seven and five. Welcome back head coach Dan Hughes and prayers up for Jewel Lloyd, who injured her ankle in Seattle's game last night against Las Vegas. The Minnesota Lynx are six and five. They won two in a row after they had taken a little bit of a skid. Uh, Indiana Fever, five and seven. And in case you're wondering, the Indiana Fever have made it off of that atrocious, uh, road trip. Uh, so they are safe, but they've dropped two in a row. The LA Sparks, the team that Tarika Foster Brasby picked to win it all is four and six, eighth in the league, and they've lost four in a row. Tariqa, do you have anything to say? I got some text messages I got to send because I don't know what's going on. I really don't. Yeah, you need to check in. <laughs> I got to check in. You really need to check in. Um, The Phoenix Mercury are also struggling, which is the team I picked to mm. win the league. They are three and five, so I can't talk. Um, Diana, please hurry up and come back. And we're not trying to put a bunch of pressure on you, but <laughs> we need you. Uh, the New York Liberty, three and seven, tenth in the league. The Dallas Wings, two and six, um, number eleven in the league. And then the Atlanta Dream in the bottom of the league standings at two and seven. Tariqa, I don't know if you watched that game on Sunday, but Washington blew into town, and boy, Atlanta gave them a great half. Tiffany Hayes was fantastic. I mean, they look like a team that's ready to turn the page. And that third quarter run by Washington in Atlanta, I mean, they just totally took over uh, in the dream um didn't have a lot of fight it's actually starting to become an mo if you really pay attention Ooh. i don't know what they do at halftime but my tebow teams come back in the third quarter and they pretty much like that's their quarter yeah like, they have an mo of that now so yeah it's gotta be where yeah 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 they do um they're looking good um okay well so that is kind of what's happening right now um we have an ESPN game coming up this Saturday, 1 p.m., Connecticut at Washington. So the number one team in the league visits the number two team in the league, Washington Mystics. So make sure that you check your local listings for that. And with that, we will move into the first quarter. First quarter. All right. So in our first quarter today, um, which will be relatively short, but – I just kind of wanted to talk um, a little bit about some teams that are having some highs and some and some lows at the same time, which is interesting. And of course, I'm going to start with my Connecticut son, because, I mean, you mentioned it, the high 
they are still the number one team in the league and they are still sitting at nine and two. But the low, however, um, they did lose Lasia Clarendon, which she just had surgery on her right ankle on Tuesday. And she has an expected recovery time of two to three. Uh, I'm sorry, of three to four months in which she could be missing. So that means that uh, Lasia is probably not going to play again this season unless the Sun make a deep playoff run. And she wrote on Twitter, and I quote, as much as I hoped, wished and asked if there was a way just to like use some tape or brace to be able to play. It just wasn't possible. Just like that, I probably won't play again this season. I worked so hard this off season and am in the best shape ever. So this hurts even more. LaChina, Lasia's in her seventh season playing in this league. What do you think this injury means for her? And how can Connecticut kind of move forward with this? Well, first and foremost, let me just say that Tarika is concerned about her Connecticut son, which is why this is at the top of the, the very agenda. Top. Even though she did not pick them to win the championship, but that's still her team. Don't let her fool you. Um, so she's concerned, and I understand why. Lasia has worked tremendously hard in the offseason of every year she's been in the WNBA when she's been healthy enough to do so. I think that has contributed to her longevity in this league. She came in. She put on weight. She got stronger. Um, and she was playing a very pivotal role as the sixth player off of the bench for Kurt Miller. She gave Jasmine Thomas a break. Um, you know, we need or they need that as we were looking at the sun in past years. Jasmine was often having to log a lot of minutes. And so it puts a little bit more pressure on, in my opinion, the person up. Everyone will have to play more. Right. Like Bria Holmes, I think, will, you know, he'll move some pieces around or whatever. But Laysha was able to come in and provide a steadiness and she's experienced and she's been in the battles and she's been an all-star in this league. So that's hard to replace. And I think a lot of the onus is going to go on Rachel Bannum, which I'm excited for this opportunity for Rachel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she is a player that we know came into the WNBA. She can score the basketball. The question was always, is she going to play the one? Is she going to play the two? I think she's come quite a ways in her ability to to play that point guard spot in in this league, but it will be tested. I think, um, you know, in their recent loss against Chicago at Chicago, I mean, Connecticut got demolished. Didn't see that coming, and Jasmine Thomas did not play that well. And mm-hmm. it's rare that I say that. So in the event that she does have a bad game or they need someone to step up and play more minutes, it's not going to be dependable Lasia Clarendon. It's going to be now it's time for Rachel Bannon to show us what she can do. So our thoughts and prayers go out to uh, Lasia because it, it just sucks. Um, it does. You know, hate to see her go down, especially when everything has been going so well for Connecticut. But they 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 run deep, and I wouldn't be surprised if you don't see a number of players running the point guard spot. I mean, look at what Chicago's doing with with Gabby Williams. Like the lead guard spot is so different now than it has been over the years. Like it's just you just got to be able to make some decisions in the late clock, maybe set up a play. But you know, Courtney Williams can handle the ball well. I mean, everybody just about on their team can handle more. But it is a hit for Connecticut. And you hate to see players get hurt. And I'll put a bow on it just by saying this. I think it's really crazy that we had John Quell on the show last week who talked about how important it is for them to make a deep run in the playoffs. And if we want to see Lasia back on the court again this year, that's exactly what's going to have to happen. So, mm-hmm. you know, I would say that the stakes have definitely risen for Connecticut with this injury. And they're in a good place to figure it out because they are 9-2 and two and, and they play Dallas uh, later tonight. And today's Wednesday. We're recording the show. And But like you mentioned, they have a tough Washington team on Saturday. So at the end of the day, while adjustments do need to be made, they're going to have to make them quick, fast, in a hurry in order to maintain the pace that they're on. Yeah. All right, LaChina. So it's interesting that um, we're about four, maybe five shows into the WNBA season, and we really haven't talked too much about Chicago, but I think they've been really impressive. Now, they're low. They did have a game earlier today, and we're recording this on Wednesday, so they uh, failed to the Washington Mystics 81-74, even though Allie Quigley dropped like 21 points. But the box score didn't really indicate that they came out having a strong second half. Looks like Washington does what Washington does in the third quarter. Um, so they now fall to a 6-4 and four record, tying with the Aces. But the high is they're still in the fourth spot. They're still in the top five teams in this league. They're two of two of their last four. Courtney Vandersloot is still leading the league in assists. 
um, despite today's loss. And I think this team is in one of the better places that we've seen them in the last couple of years. You think we should be paying more attention to Chicago or is it too early to kind of jump on their bandwagon? Uh, we should definitely be paying more attention to Chicago. Uh, what I like about the Chicago Sky team is that they have a potential to be a very good shooting team. Now, when they're off shooting the ball, they're off. Right now, they're second in the league shooting at 42% from the field. And I think they're second in true uh, field goal percentage as well. But uh, they've got some people that can space the floor and shoot. It reminds you actually a lot of Washington. Um, you know, when you look at the likes of Allie Quigley, obviously, Stephanie Dolson can pick and pop. Um, you know, they've got, you know, Courtney Vandersloot. Like, they've got players, Diamond to Shields when her jump shot is falling. Like, they have players, and, and even Gabby Williams. I mean, I've seen her pulling up off the bounce with a jump shot. So when their jump shots are falling, this is a really dangerous team. Now, they have made giant strides in their defense from last season. Mm-hmm. Still not in the upper half of the league, but you see where James Wade has them trending. And one thing I'll say about this team is that, and this is just a WNBA observation in general, it takes you a while to understand how to defend in this league. So when you're playing young players like, you know, Diamond or, um, you know, Gabby, like they're still getting an understanding of, okay, this team is going to pick and roll this way, or this is how you top block, or this is, you know, this is how you read and rotate out. And, just that chemistry overall. Like, I think the leadership definitely of Jantel Lavender, like having someone on the team like her has helped because she's got that championship experience. But I, I believe in this team. And let me not leave out Cheyenne Parker, yes. who has been having an outstanding season. I mean, you were just kind of waiting for that moment for her. Because the thing about Cheyenne is she's 6'4", and she did a – she did a great job of getting herself in shape. You got to give her credit. Like she looks trimmer, slimmer. I don't know exactly how many pounds she's lost, but she's definitely dropped. So she's moving better and she's six, four, but she actually has a lot of guard skill. Like she can handle the ball off of the bounce. Um, she moves extremely well. So I think she's just really scratching the surface of what we will see her become. And I mean, she was the number five overall pick in 2015. So she's, you know, expectations have been high in her, but that's one thing that James Wade does is he in particular is really good with the development of post players. Uh, so you can see the stride she's made in her game, but I think it's definitely time to start paying this guy some attention. I mean, I love Win trust arena kind of gives them a new feel for the team. Obviously they moved there a couple years ago and I just like the feeling, and I think James Wade knows what he's doing. I've watched him work when he was at Minnesota. Um, obviously, when you move that one seat over, things are a little bit different. But if he can just coach, develop the players, uh, I really think there is no limit for the sky. And I think they'll make the playoffs. I'm, I'm going to, even though I was not subscribing to that to start the season, they lost to the Washington Mystics, but it was – not it was a close game you know and that says a lot for them to play that well against a team that has a lot more experience yeah you know what I'm with you there because I really wasn't subscribing to Chicago being a playoff team and I think that's just because they brought back basically their whole team last year and with the exception uh, of one or two pieces and they were not a good defensive team last year. They won 13 games on the season. And yet they've already, we're not even a third of the way through the season, and yet they've already are half at that mark right now. Um, and I watched the game today. I also watched the game against Connecticut. And, yes, I'm a, I'm a Sun fan, but that was still a huge win for Chicago for various reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it ended uh, Connecticut's seven-game win streak. But I think more specifically, since we've seen – um, the Deladon trade, it really didn't seem like this team was able to kind of find themselves or like find a rhythm. Um, we've said repeatedly they haven't really played great defense. It just didn't seem like they had any kind of, of motivation to want to, to do better. And, and you're right. I think with James Wade being part of that Minnesota coaching staff and what he brings to it, you could slowly see that culture of winning. Like creeping mm-hmm. back into their team. Diamond DeShields is starting to play at that level of basketball that we've all said that we knew that she could play. They had 10 steals in that game against Connecticut. So you're right. It's not like, you know, they have improved in that area in some way. Whatever it is, 
it really does have the, on the right track of bringing winning back to the Chicago culture. And the fans are excited about it. And I think when you see them play, that they feel it too. Yeah, and they can like they can really space the floor. And one thing that I noticed too is James Wade has the trust of his team. Like Cordy Vandersloot trusts him. So when he goes to his second, when he goes to his bench, which to me is his defensive unit, he actually he will sit Courtney Vandersloot down and she's fine with it, mm-hmm. right? Like, hey, this is the second unit. This is what we're doing. And they really gave them a huge punch in that Connecticut game. They I did. Mean, when you can put athletic players like Kalia Copper and Gabby and Diamond all on the sh- on the floor together and Cheyenne Parker and just let them shoot the gap and play tough defense like that is a lot to deal with. And I love that they're making Diamond the focal point because when she's the focal point, Courtney's just doing whatever she wants to do. Just, okay, <laughs> she's just doing doing whatever she wants to do, and that's right. that's that is working for them. So, yeah. And and Katie Lou is hurt, and but right. they're expecting her back. So when they get her back, so yeah, we are buying into the Chicago Sky. I think that's what we're saying. So speaking of the Chicago. Chicago Sky. We just may have a Chicago Sky player coming to talk to us next quarter. Second quarter, inside the huddle. All right, basketball fans. Well, if you've been paying attention to the WNBA season, um, there are a lot of trends and things happening that we expected, but more things that we probably did not expect. And I'm not going to lie. One thing that I did not expect was for the Chicago Sky to be the number four team right now in the WNBA. So hats off to the sky. And James Wade, first-year head coach, who was obviously making a difference. Amongst his stars on the team that are making that happen is a sophomore in the WNBA who was making waves last year, first team, um, all-rookie in the league. And she was the number three overall pick in the 2018 WNBA draft. Please join me in welcoming Chicago Sky's own Diamond DeShields. Welcome, Diamond. Hey, guys. What's going on? Well, we know it's a tough time right now because you just took an L to to the Washington Mystics. And it was an important game because the standings are are getting tight up there at the top. So we're going to save talking about the team till later. We'll talk about you first, give you a little bit more recovery time if that works. (laughs) That's perfect. I appreciate it. So one thing that I read when I was getting ready for this interview, and you have to not only – Tell me if this is actually true, which I don't see why why it would be a lie. But also tell me exactly how this all happened. But were you once trained by Venus and Serena's dad uh, in tennis? I, I, had, I, had a, I had a private tennis lesson with him when I was like, I don't remember the age, but it was a surprise thing. My dad kind of just took me down to Florida and then uh, we ended up at his house. And I was like, what are we doing here? You know, and then, you know, he was like, we're going to have, we're going to go into a lesson. And so it was, it was really fun for me. It was awesome. I really enjoyed it. That is so cool. And I ask about that to kind of open up. Well, first of all, did you get to meet Serena or Venus while you were there? No, they were like, they were like playing in like Wimbledon or something at the time. Uh, Of course. They were somewhere changing the world, but that is really cool that you got to meet. Um, I guess it's Richard trying to think of this. That's so sad that at this point we're like Serena and Venus's dad. Like, you know, that's his name. Uh, but it brings me to just how athletic you, you are and have always been. And, um, you know, your background is well documented from, you know, your mom's career at, at Tennessee as a heptathlete. Your dad obviously had a 13 year career in the major leagues, your brother, um, also, um, in major league baseball. But at what age did you start to do things that stood out to you? Like when were you maybe like, okay, I can do this and the rest of the kids can't? Um, I was, I was super, super young when I realized that I was, uh, different. Um, because I always just played with the guys. Um, so I knew like there was no girl like me on the planet, you know, because I never played with girls and girls never played with me. So I was like, man, I'm the only girl that can do this stuff, you know? So I was really young, just on the playground, beating all the boys in all the races and kicking the ball the farthest and throwing it the farthest and getting picked first in football, you know, stuff like that. So I kind of, figured that out at a very early age. I remember the first time I saw you, I worked, I walked into a gym, um, and you were already a teenager at this point, but it was an AU game, and I think it was like a Brandon Clay event. You know, Brandon would always have the events in Georgia or whatever, right. and 
you were like, I came in and you like skied to the basket on a, on a layup and really just smack glass right in front of my face. Um, and I was like, Oh, okay. She's different. All kind of airtime. <laughs> Do you remember the first time you were able to dunk the basketball? Um, the first time, yeah, I was in ninth grade. So what, 14 years old, 15. Wow. That is crazy. Tarika, you you and I have no kind of athleticism in that space. Um, so we're going oh, <laughs> to so move on from there. So the other thing that I was just revisiting about your career, Diamond, because you've taken a different path, and it's very important, I think, for fans to understand all the different paths that WNBA players take for a number of reasons. Some have to do right. with money. Some have to do with development. Um, but you are someone who started off your career in North Carolina transferred to Tennessee, played two years there, and then instead of declaring for the draft for that for that year, you actually were going to go back to Tennessee for your final year of eligibility and then later on right. decided that you were going to go professional. Take us right. through kind of that time and what made you decide to go pro at that point and then how that has helped your development to this point? Uh, well, that time was, um, I don't want to say it was chaotic, um, but it was kind of stressful for me, you know, because I had, like you said, I had already announced that I was coming back to school. Um, but there were a few factors that kind of didn't make sense to me uh, as far as pursuing that decision. And so the hardest thing for me was kind of to go back on my word, right? Because, you know, as it, it, although I am a child, it was just hard for me to stomach that because I knew that there were so many people looking forward to the next season at UT. Um, but at the end of the day, it's my life, you know, and these, this was a, this was one of those times where this choice was going to affect my entire life. Um, so I ended up, uh, going overseas, um, which was a choice that was also different. Um, but the overseas route worked out for me because I needed some time off. I needed some time to kind of heal myself, uh, lick my wounds, if you will, and um, and then go into the overseas season, put up some good numbers, and then go into the draft um, after that. So it ended up being one of the best decisions of my life. I, I can't say that I regret uh, it at all, and um, I'm, I'm really happy, and, and I'm proud of myself as well. So when you say lick your wounds, what kind of things were you healing physically or was it emotional healing? Like what were you trying to, to, to kind of heal from? Yeah, primarily, definitely, it was physical. I mean, on top of just, like, being a collegiate athlete, we all know how mentally daunting that can be in and of itself. Um, but physically, like, I wasn't physically able to – well, I wasn't at tip-top shape um, or condition physically to, to have entered the draft and, and made as big of an impact as I did last season. Mm, that's really interesting. And when you were overseas, was there a moment where you were like, holy smokes, what am I doing? Or like, I'm just going to pack up and go home. Like, were there any moments while you were there? Because, I mean, you were still pretty young to have made that decision to go straight over there without any professional experience at all. Um, I was, yeah, I was, I had a moment, uh, like a holy smokes moment. I think just when I landed in Istanbul initially, just because I was like, wow, man, like, I'm really over here. Like, I'm really over here doing this. And um, it was never a, I want to go home or it was never, like, anything negative. I just was kind of shocked, uh, especially when I arrived at my destination because it was like I'm, I'm living in this apartment on my own. Um, all throughout college I was, you know, it's dorm-style living, so we always live with our teammates so this is the first time I have my own space and my own car, and, you know, it's a job. And so, you know, just kind of working my way through that. But all of it was fun for me. Yeah. When you think about overseas for you in terms of how you've grown as a person, what stood out to you about? Because you've been in Istanbul. I know you were in China. Um, right. What has stood out to you about other countries that off the court has maybe um, bought some kind of epiphany or a realization to you? Well, I mean, it's definitely going to test your patience, um, and it's going to test uh, certain aspects of like your sanity. Uh, I think that there are times, you know, like if if you if you're unable to sit with yourself um, and only you, I think that you can really, you know, drive yourself 
into a very uncharacteristic state. Mm. And um, I think for me, it was just being comfortable with like exploring myself and figuring out what it is that I like to do and what type of, you know, shows I like watching. You got a lot of time on your hands. And and, um, on top of just dealing with other people from another country, there, there are cultural differences that can challenge you as well. You know, it's interesting that you say that about uh, testing your sanity. You are not the first WNBA player that I've talked to or heard from that has said that. Um, actually, I read in an article, I want to say, earlier in the season uh, that Christy Tolliver said that, like basically that she doesn't know very many WNBA players that go overseas, and this may be extreme, but that don't need to like have some kind of counseling at some point because it is such a hard like individual and very isolated journey. Um, what well, can right. be depending on right. where well, you end up. Well, I mean, you, it's, it's hard because right. You, you don't want to say like this, this experience can drive you insane. Like you don't want to say this experience can cause you to have to need counseling because it's such a blessing. Um, and financially we're able to, uh, make more money than, you know, the average person would. So it, it's, it's, it's difficult um, to speak uh, negatively about a situation that offers so much, um, but it's true. Uh, and I think that the more we kind of open up the conversation for it, um, the more we can just bring awareness to it because it, it, that's not that's not a, a dramatized statement. Like, that's not me, you know, saying, oh, coach killed me today in practice. Like, you know, he didn't really kill you. Right, um, right, but, yeah. When when we're playing overseas, it, it does that. I mean, it really can it really can drive you to do some very very uncharacteristic uncharacteristic do and say very uncharacteristic things. And it's something that we all deal with from the the number one player, all the Olympic players, down to you know the ones that you know may, maybe didn't get drafted. Like we all go through the same struggles. Yeah, very interesting. And again, it might be something we end up talking about on this show now that I've heard. And I, I'm not quoting Christy Tolliver per word, but she said something very similar. And it's not the first time I heard it um, in addition right. to you saying that. Um, so let's talk about James Wade, who uh, comes to the WNBA. Obviously, he was an assistant at Minnesota. But as far as head coaching, he's been overseas, very respected, has worked with a ton of WNBA players but those of us that have not been in the practices in the huddles with him, Diamond, what is James Wade like? Uh, he's a character, man. I mean, to, to me, he's a fun guy. Uh, he's he's a he's a ton of fun. Uh, but but when it comes to basketball, um, he he's very superstitious, right? And uh, <laughs> and he also is just very very hard nosed, you know, with 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 all that he does involving the game of basketball. He works extremely hard, um, and, and I respect him so much just as a coach and as a man. Mm, yeah, I mean, I've been watching you know your games, and I know him to be like I've covered Minnesota, right? And it, I just think it's amazing the impact he had on Sylvia Fowles' career, and he worked some with Brittany Griner overseas. I mean, he's you know worked with a lot of players, and they come back and they're better. Um, right. but he seems so laid back when we were covering Minnesota. And now like today, I mean, I saw James kind of getting testy, you know, over yeah. on the sidelines. Like he had a quick little coach pop interview and got right back at it, but he could be fiery. Yeah, no, definitely. I'm telling you, he's very, very, uh, he's very precise. Um, and to the point when, when it comes to, to being competitive, like once he hits that switch, of course, when he's not, competing he's very very chill but when he hits that switch uh i mean you you better you better be on your piece you, sure. <laughs> well with your team sitting at fourth in the league um what has he implemented or done or what's gone right i guess with your team this year versus where you guys last were last season other than experience right because you all were so young and still are in terms of like some of the key components, you, Gabby, you know, you guys are just getting your feet wet in the league. But what's different about your team this year? Uh, I think that um, I think it was it was our willingness to break old habits, to break bad habits. I think like that's where it started. We knew that we were a poor defensive team. We knew we were a poor rebounding team. And I think just taking that to the chin and being like, this is something that we have to do in order to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, Coach Wade came in immediately and told us, like, hey, if we don't rebound, if we don't defend, we're not going to win games. And that's just period. 
Um, yeah. And so our team, we, we took that challenge on and, and we, we stayed unified through it. And I think that that was really important as well. Um, but, you know, we're able to see our growth game by game, even in the losses, you know, like we're sitting at fourth, but we know we could be sitting in first right now. Yeah. And what what role do you think you play on this team? Like, I mean, obviously the expectations for you are very, very high. I mean, myself included, Cappy Pondexter, everybody coming into this season was like, okay, Diamond has a chance to be an MVP. And not to kind of put that kind of pressure on you, but what do you feel like your role or your expectation is internally? Um, and, and how do you think you're doing so far? Um, I, 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 uh, to be honest, I'm, I'm pretty disappointed in myself. I mean, obviously I have some fresh emotions coming off of this loss today. Uh, but, but I'm pretty disappointed in myself, not because of just like statistically the way I'm playing or I've been playing the past few games. Um, but I just, I just don't feel like I'm, I'm playing to the best of my abilities right now. Uh, although I have had a few games where it's like, oh, wow, you know, she's, she's, she's doing it. Oh, yeah, you've had some just, great I'm, games. Yeah, I'm searching for it. I'm just, I'm just trying to get into that consistent. I'm just trying to get into that consistent groove um, that I, I'm missing right now. And is uh, it hitting but, jump shots, or is it rebounding, or what is it that you want um, to do consistently better? Well, I, I, I just, I want to be the best. I just want to be the best uh, for my teammates, right? Yeah. And so, uh, finding the balance between when I need to score, when I need to create. Uh, when when it's just not my night, when I just need to defend, you know what mm-hmm, I mean. I think mm-hmm. that it's it's a lot for me, uh, being that I am young, but also like stepping up to the challenge of like th- my team is looking to me uh, to help lead us to a place that we've never been, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's just mentally, just you know, growth is painful, um, okay. and so I've been dealing with that. But uh, it's it's a blessing to be. Uh, to have these expectations, I, I wouldn't want to be just oh she's a, she's whatever like it's not important. Like I'm very fortunate for people to be looking to me to do these things on the court, and so it's just I just have to answer. Yeah, I mean I think of some of your performances this year: 21 against Seattle, 24 against Washington earlier in the league, 20 in season, 25 against Phoenix. Like when you see those those games, and not only just see those numbers, but the Efficiency for which you shot the ball and the rebound, and you've got, you know, even today you had nine rebounds. You had nine rebounds against Connecticut. I mean, those aren't slight things. Um, so you are definitely getting it done. Before we let you go, um, just my last question is Chicago. What uh, do you like about Chicago, and what does Diamond just like to do on her off day? <laughs> um, I uh, so. Uh, what I like about Chicago, obviously, in the summertime, is beautiful. Uh, the weather's been a little questionable this summer, but in general, it's just super, super nice. So I love uh, being able to be out in the sun. Um, I love that this is a sports city. You know, we've got baseball, we've got hockey, softball, you name it, we got it. Um, and I just love our fans, man. Like, our fans really come out for us, and they really support us. They do a great job of showing us love, and, and I, I just appreciate our ownership for putting us in position to be seen and be made visible. Um, and then on my off day, um, <laughs> I just I'm, – I'm working. You know, I, and it sounds funny to say that, but I'm, I'm working on, like, some off-court stuff, like – uh, just tell us, tell us. Like my foundation and nice. um, just trying to, you know, just more marketing opportunities and stuff like that. I'm really just trying to to just build my brand and set myself up for the future. Nice. Any launches coming up or anything we should be looking out for? Uh, yeah, actually, uh, I think I think that there will be some some a big announcement. Uh, I can't really give you a timeline on it, but uh, there definitely will be a big announcement pretty soon um, involving me. And so, you know, just nice. stay tuned. Well, just I, know see, I was going to say, if you want to drop it, <laughs> you're right, if you want to drop it on Around the Rim podcast, give be us a right call. <laughs> Look, we will be here. Uh, Diamond, thank you so much. We appreciate your time and just the sky's the limit for you. Like, honestly, God, I can't, I hate saying that. Chicago sky, that was not on purpose, uh, but no it is true. <laughs> it is true. What a chance the rapper say to you guys, by the way, today, 
clearly his I mean, his coaching didn't help. What did he say? He just kidding. Kept, I think he, he pulled a he pulled a James Wade and he kept it real short. He just was like, let's go out and let's get this win. And so, you know, unfortunately, we didn't do that, but we appreciate Chance uh, for showing love and for being there today. Well, give Sloot and Staff and all of them our best. And um, hey, it's a new era for Chicago Sky. We look forward to watching you guys Absolutely. the rest of the way. Thanks, Latrina. Appreciate uh, it. Thanks, Diamond. <laughs> Third quarter, scouting report. All right, basketball fans. Well, I I mean, I'm going to say this, but it's not like you don't already know it. We have one of my favorite people on the entire planet, favorite players, favorite just person in the world for me on this podcast. And um, it's crazy that every time we've had her on this podcast, it's like her life has uh taking a different turn right so we have her on here and she's a you know WNBA champion and MVP and we have her on here and she had just taken a job you know with the Indiana Fever we had her on here and she had opened a tea shop and now we're having her back on the show because she's doing all kinds of wonderful things please join us in welcoming the Fever Vice President of Basketball Operations Tamika Catchings to the show welcome Tamika thank you Latina thanks for having me Oh, my gosh. We're so excited to talk to you. So first and foremost, I'm just going to get to the important thing. The American Ninja Warrior. Okay, we were so dialed in watching you and your training and this whole process. Please tell us how this came about and what that experience was like for you. Wow. Well, um, I don't even know how to start. But, you know, it's interesting. The last couple of years when I got done playing, people were like, oh, my gosh, what are you going to do to keep your like?" you're so competitive. Like, what are you going to do to keep your competitive nature going? And at that point, I was like, you know what? I don't want to be competitive. I just want to relax and chill out and, you know, kind of be normal for a little bit. But I got into doing the mud runs. And so I do the Rugged Maniac. This year will be my third year doing it here in Indiana. And the gym that I train at is called Train Yard 317. But, like, one of the – probably one of the first times that I went to actually, like, train for the Rugged Maniac, they had these courses set up. And so, of course, you know, me, 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 you guys know me, me being me, I was like, oh, I could totally do this. And so it was kind of like the slanted um, like in the air, like they were suspended in the air and you oh just jump from one to the other to the other, you know, back and forth, back and forth, all the way down to the pit. And so I got up there and I, at first I was nervous. I was like, I could totally do this. And so I did it. And then I did it again and I did it again. And then like they have the warp wall, they have all these different things. And so one thing led to another, and the guy that worked there was like, oh, you'd be awesome on American Ninja Warrior. This was three, this was two years ago. And I, there's no way I would ever do that. Those people are crazy. Like, it, I can't even see myself. I mean, do you know the, what kind of training it would take to do that? No, no, no. Well, now fast forward two years, two, two years and some change, and um, got the opportunity to be able to submit and go and be a part of American Ninja Warrior. And I can honestly say, like, the training in the beginning, I was just like, all right, I, I know I got to go in three times a week. I would go to the class from five to six sometimes and then stay and train from six to seven and then oh go to work. Gosh. But I loved it. You know, I do. I, I, I love the, the challenge. I, I knew that it was totally different than basketball and that I would really have to, I mean, we use all of our lower body. We don't really use upper body. We lift weights and all that good stuff, but you think about when you shoot a basketball, it's not like if you're strong, you can throw the ball further. I mean, yeah, maybe, but look at Steph Curry. And not that he's not strong, but, you know, it doesn't matter really like upper body as far as being like super strong. But right. you have to learn how to use your fingers to hold you up and use your upper body to keep you suspended in the air. But, I, I mean, I, I love it. Absolutely. Wow. I mean, do would you say like – Obviously, basketball training is different, but are you in better shape doing this than you were as a basketball player? Upper body, yeah. And just being able to, like, the endurance aspect, I would, yeah. I mean, wow. I, I didn't run. Right. <laughs> I didn't run as much as I did to, to train for basketball, but, you know, I think upper body strength for sure. You are our life goals. And I saw you like on vacation recently in your bathing suit. And I was like, I've never looked that good in my bathing suit in my entire life. And here Tamika is out here like doing all kinds of stuff to stay in shape and looking great and training. Like, oh, my gosh. You look great. I don't all. know what you're talking oh, about. Gosh. I no, see your pictures. I'm like, okay, LaChina. You pictures. look great. <laughs> Thank you, Tamika. But those are pictures. When I see you in person, we'll have another conversation. <laughs> um, but you're also doing big things with the Indiana Fever. And you took 
took on a, a new role. Kelly Kroftkoff has moved to the NBA side, and you are now the VP of Basketball Operations. Tell us about your role, and why was this the right move for you? Well, honestly, being here and being a part of the people organization, I mean, literally, I've grown up here. And so kind of the last couple of years, being in the role, being a part of all three organizations underneath, underneath Pacers Sports and Entertainment umbrella, when I had the opportunity to kind of just focus on one, and of course the last two years here with the fever haven't necessarily been the best years. So I think for me it was more the challenge in knowing what fever basketball is all about, what we've always represented and been, a, you know, like who we've been in the years that I played and really trying to get us back to that. And so, you know, I think being able to jump to the other side and I'm still learning, you know, I don't have all everything figured out and all that good stuff, but it's definitely great for me to have the perspective from a player standpoint and now from the front office standpoint and being able to kind of find that balance in between to be able to know, know like, what's important to our players, what helps us tick, what, what makes us tick, what helps us, you know, play better and perform on the court, and then also from the business side, what helps sell. And so, you know, being able to be on both sides has really just been a positive it's interesting because and we'll, we're going to talk a little bit later about a good friend of yours and, and Swin Cash, who's moved, made a move to the NBA side. And obviously you were working with both the Pacers and the Fever organization um, as the director of player programs and franchise development. So you've gotten the taste of both. But is there as much as you've been involved in like a lot of the WNBA like background business stuff, like, you know, with the Players Association, you've been part of CBA it's like you have you have been. And that's the thing about you. I think people don't realize is even without the title or the formal position, you have done a lot in the background to build this league. What have you learned maybe in this position with a team as VP of basketball ops that you did not maybe know in, in, in your previous stops? Interestingly enough, I wouldn't, I would just say from, from the working standpoint, you know, so I'll even go back two years ago, not necessarily just where I'm at now. And this is what I try to translate to our players. As a player, we wake up, you know, game days, we wake up, we get ready, we do shoot around, we go home, we get some, something to eat, we lay down for a while, you know, get back up, come to the gym, play the game, get in the cold tub, hot tub, you know, whatever we need to do, and then we go home. And what I've learned is just what it takes to run a game, <laughs> what it takes to run an organization, what it takes to be on the phone, you know, selling tickets and getting sponsorships and partners and, and all of the other behind-the-scenes stuff. That's what I've really watched and what I've really learned. And I think even from a competitive standpoint, that's the thing that continues to drive me is knowing, like, hey, you know, all these contacts and all these people that we have – getting them to understand and buy into women's basketball and buy into the WNBA and, you know, honestly, buy into basketball. It doesn't matter if you're a male or a female, but this is great basketball and getting them into the stand and figuring out ways how do you help them become not just one game, like let me just go to a game because Tamika said it's cool, go to a game, but really become a fan. And, you know, I think that that's been the big part for me is, really learning. I mean, I told one of our players the other day, I'm like, shoot, you guys get to go home. I've been here since 8 o'clock, and I won't leave till after the game, whatever right. that is. And, <laughs> you know, so really, like, trying to trying to condition your mind to think differently. But early on, it was hard for me, I won't lie. You know, just, man, I can't go home. Like, I'm tired. <laughs> take a nap. ready for the game. <laughs> but, nope, you got to stay at work and, you know, do all that. So I think that's probably been the biggest transition for me. Your fever right now sitting at seventh in the league, and you've had some stumbles uh, recently, travel. But um, you also had an injury to Natalia Chamwa, I think, set you back a little bit. But this team is five and seven and looks very different from teams we've seen, um, you know, in recent years. What do you see as the current state of the team, and, and what do you think they have to do to make that push to get into the playoff bracket? I'm really excited about our team and not, you know, obviously not excited about being five and seven, but even being five and seven, you look at all the changes that have been made in the course of the last three years. And this year, I mean, anytime a new coach comes in, it takes about three to five years for, you know, for a coach to be able to come in, formulate their own team, get their own system in place and all, you know, all of that. And so I think when you look at Pokey and what she's been able to do this year, changing our team a little bit, adding some younger pieces, you know, our draftees that we got, Tierra McCowan, 
never had somebody her size that's been that's able to do the thing that she's able to do and just even though she's not to the level that well we want her at you know like of course I want her to be dominant and mm-hmm. when I look around the league we played uh, Sylvia Files last night Minnesota Lynx and you know I want her to be like that and so thinking about Sil's transition from who she is today but I was with her before she got to this point and right. so really being able to see the the progress that she's made every year. And now I'm looking at Tierra and I'm like, this could be the same wavelength that she could be on, the Sylvia Fowles, the Brittany Griners, you know, being able to impact the game just by your size and because you actually can play the game, you can think the game and do all of that. So, you know, I'm excited about her. You know, we added Kennedy Burke, of course, to our lineup. But I think the biggest thing is having players that, our younger players have grown in the in the course of a year. Our veteran players have grown into leaders. You know, a couple of years ago, our leaders were me and Brian January and Elena Larkins, and, you know, those players aren't here now. So we've had players that have had to develop into leaders and have had to find their voice. And I think that you know, Natalie Ochamwa has stepped up big time and being able to be a vocal leader. Candace Dupree, we know what Dupree does. I mean, she's just amazing in everything that she does. Erica Wheeler has stepped up her game. So I think that I I love where we are as a team and of course I want us to continue to get better. But you know, we're on the right we're on the right path for that. And is there one player that you think stands out in terms of like you were that player? You were that one player where it was like, Okay, Tamika Catchings will decide the destiny of this team by the end of the season. Is there one player that you think stands out as, you know, for you guys to get into the playoffs, this is gonna be the player that has to perform well? Honestly, no. Um, I think it's a, a it's a group effort. You know, Benajelani, I left her out, but her defense and the way that she plays, if she doesn't come and bring that, maybe she is. Maybe it, that's who it is. You know, she's the player that every single night you're relying on her to, to set the tone for our defense because everybody on our team feeds off of her energy. And it starts with our defense and then it slowly but surely kind of leads into our offense and being able to get our offense going. Yeah. I know you have a hard out, so unfortunately I had 55 more questions to ask you, but Tarika's not going to let me. Um, so if I have a, my last one for you, and, and we talked about this a little bit before we came on, but this is, is our Pat Summit um, tribute episode. And just curious if there's any moment that occurs for you day to day that brings Coach Summit to mind or if there's been any maybe recent moments in your life where something happened and she came to to your memory. But just anything um, that you can share about, you know, any recent revelations about Coach Summit? Uh, You know, I think every single day I think about Pat to some capacity. And, you know, I, I always say this, but everything that I do and the legacy that I leave is I'm part of her legacy and, you know, for what she did in the community and just the type of person that she was, her humbleness, all of that. You know, I feel like that is kind of who I've become. And when I step into the building, you know, I want to be that energizer bunny. I want to be that person that when I walk into a room, people are happy to see and, you're not like, oh, my gosh, here comes Tamika. And, you know, that's who Pat was. And she would walk into a room, and it's like instantly the sun would come out, no matter where we were, whether it's inside or outside. And, you know, I think that when I live my life, and not that I'm super conscious, like I always have to be in a great mood, but I think literally, like, I am thankful for life. I'm thankful for the opportunities that I've had. And, you know, I'm thankful to be to have been taught by the greatest coach and mentor and leader that – I've ever known. Yeah, we feel the same. We were just actually talking about that and that, you know, there's just no one that I could even think of, basketball or otherwise, that's had as big of an impact on the world as I feel like Coach Summit has. So thank you for sharing those sentiments with us. We got to let you go because we have a 430 hard out, but uh, (laughs) we want to thank you for coming on, Tamika. We'll have you back. We always have a reason to talk to you. And congratulations on just everything happening in your life. I still, you see you're still doing your clinics. Like you're so true to who you are and your brand and um, everything in social and how you inspire people. So keep being you. And I'm coming to get some tea if I can get to Indy Let's sometime. Let's do it. Soon. I can't wait. <laughs> Thank you, right, Thanks for sis. having me. Okay. Have a great day. You too. Fourth quarter. Out of bounds. Well, basketball fans, one thing that Tarika and I um, – committed ourselves to from the very beginning of this podcast was 
honoring the life of Pat Summit. And every year we've had guests come on the show and, and talk about Pat's influence on their coaching careers or on some of her players. We have them on the show. Um, and this year is no different. So in a moment, you will hear from a variety of people whose lives uh, and careers Pat Summit has impacted, including Carol Lawson, Kim Mulkey, Nikki McRae, Carolyn Peck, um, and Maria Cornelius, who has um, been a mainstay in covering the Lady Vols um, in Knoxville, along with Pat Summit's career, and has a lot of literature on her life as well, which is comes highly recommended. Um, but June 28th, 2016, was the day that we lost Coach Summit, gone from the world too early, and we've missed her so deeply ever since. And with Friday being June 28th, 2019, it's three years, but it still seems like yesterday. And so uh, this fourth quarter is just dedicated to listening to the memories of Pat Summit through the eyes of the people that loved and adored her and spent the most time around her and admired her and who she inspired. But she did that for us all. And I just challenge everyone to take a moment this week or on Friday to think about what Pat Summit has meant to your connection to women's basketball. Uh, our game would not be where it is on the WNBA level, on the college level in general, without the contributions, the sacrifice, everything that Pat Summit gave. She gave her her whole career and entire life to the game of basketball, building women's basketball. So um, I've shared my story on several occasions in that I am grateful to God that my career started at a time where just as I was starting as an analyst, um, I had an opportunity to cover some Lady Vol games when Coach Pat Summit was still the head coach there. And um, I remember every interaction. But more than anything, I just remember how kind she was to me and how she treated me, even though I was really nobody compared to her. And it just was a reminder to me of the service of our game, serving each other, um, but also understanding that no one is bigger than the game. And Pat didn't see herself as bigger than the game. And that's how she treated me in those moments where I was fortunate to interact with her. Um, Tarika, do you have any thoughts on Pat Summit? Yeah. Um, as you mentioned, Coach Summit just kind of had that impact on everyone. Um, I was never fortunate enough to actually meet her or come in contact with her, but um, I was around middle school, a middle school basketball player around the time that Tennessee was really thriving in women's basketball. And I had not quite set my eyes on going to college yet, or even if I was going to play basketball in college, but I did know that um, if I saw orange on television, regardless of what it was, men or women, I automatically assumed it was Tennessee and it was coach summit. So um, just the way that, you know, she carried herself, the way that people talk about their interactions with her. Um, I know that had I did get an opportunity to meet her, if we had ever been in her presence, that I, I would have more than likely felt a similar impact. And I'm just grateful that she did put all that she did into women's basketball, into the sport of basketball, because I think if you ask anyone uh, male or female, NBA, WNBA, men's or women's college basketball. I think that all of them would have um, the same sentiments that she impacted the sport, period. Um, so I'm thankful for her and all of the people that she impacted and all the, the ways that she made our game greater. Very, very, very well said. And with that, um, again, it's time to hear from some people that loved and adored Coach Summit as much as we did um, and hear their reflections on her life. Thank you guys for tuning in this week, and um, rest in peace, Coach Summit. One of her favorite quotes was, it is what it is. I mean, that, so, as simple as that sounds, that was her philosophy. It is what it is. Move on. Keep going. She also had a laser focus that I don't know that I'll ever encounter or will ever encounter again. Whatever was happening in that moment, she focused on in that moment, whether she was talking to a fan, whether she was talking to the media, whether she was running her practice. She had the ability to push out everything except what was right in front of her at that moment. And I really don't, that is an attribute I wish 
I had. I, I don't know how anyone can be that focused the way she was for 38 years during her coaching career. If she walked in this room right now, I would know that it was her because she changed she changed her when you're going through your your daily life and you're thinking you know I, I might cheat something or I might not give full effort or yeah I don't have to do this right now you know it can wait and she's always there saying no it's not waiting you're doing it now and that's what that's her in us you know that's what that's what she built so it was it was a uh, it was great to be a part of uh, was she she had the charisma um, to get people to uh, participate and think that they could do things that they previously they couldn't couldn't imagine they could do. So she was doing that on a couple of different fronts. She was doing it on the front of with her players, just every day what they were accomplishing in practice and then what they were able to apply to games. And then she was doing it on the front of, okay, how do we continue to grow and sell this game? And uh, as I know everybody's been hearing, and you just you just can't overstate this, Pat went everywhere. You know, we, we laugh about it. I used to say if there was going to be a game on the moon, Pat was going to be the one playing in it because she was willing to go wherever there was a chance to promote women's basketball. Now, I'll never forget, you know, being recruited. Um, I was being recruited by all the top schools, and I kind of did what I wanted to do. And, you know, I knew that I needed a disciplinarian. And uh, coaches would call me all the time, and I would call them back at all time of the night. And, you know, Pat was real adamant. You know, she was just like, okay, when I call you, you know, I, you know, call me before 10 o'clock. Don't call me after 10 o'clock. <laughs> you know, and most people, you know, most people didn't. She just told it like it was and you respected her for that you know she said if you want to be an Olympian this is what you got to do to separate yourself and you believed it mm -hmm. and she you know when she said it you know you just believed everything that she said and everything came true every single thing came true you can see how difficult it was back then for for a woman to to try to do something that really no no one had ever done before and no one thought you could do it and trying to juggle being a mom and, and being a coach and you know from from all the different aspects of of looking at what what her career was uh, uh, there were there were a lot of things that she, she was she was the first and um, there were other people that did it but nobody did it better or did it longer they had the best players you knew that you were going to be going up against the absolute best players in the country. They had enough talent to beat you and that they were tough enough to beat you and that they were coached well enough to beat you. So she would figure out a way to have to play you again. And you knew that was coming and everybody else knew it was coming. Some people, when you beat them, they go away. And she was a little bit different than that. When you beat them, you knew they were going to come back and they were going to be a little better, a little bit different, and you were going to have to come up with something better and a little, and a little bit different. There will never be another coach like Pat Summit. I, I said many times she is the equivalent of John Wooden to the women's game. I, I had the opportunity a month ago to see Pat. My son plays at LSU, and they were playing at the University of Tennessee, and he kept encouraging me, Mom, go see her, go see her. I didn't want to. And I'm so glad that I did. I took a picture with her. She got up. She walked. She sat by me on the couch. And to think today we're talking about, she's gone. Pat was a, was a great friend to me, uh, a great resource. And even though I never played for her, um, I always felt like she was kind of one of my coaches. I used to lean on her for advice. Uh, she was one of the people that I spoke with my junior year in college. And I was deciding whether to turn pro or stay for my senior year. And she gave me some invaluable advice. We maintained a really close uh, friendship, and uh, I was uh, honored to present her with the Arthur Ashe Award uh, a few years ago, and honored to serve on the uh, Pet Summit Alzheimer's uh, Foundation. Um, I miss her. Uh, I love her very much, and uh, like I said, it's a it's a very sad day. She loved everything about Tennessee, and uh, everybody involved in the University of Tennessee and the entire state was was proud to have Pat Summit as an ambassador so she certainly uh should be known much more than you know than just a uh a great basketball coach um, uh she uh 
she had a huge impact uh, on everybody that she met, and uh, like I said, we'll all miss her. She was certainly way more valuable to society than the 1,098 win. I mean, that certainly defined her as a big-time winner. But she was a winner in a game of life. Her ability to communicate. I remember one time she asked me to speak to her team when I was in town to do a men's game. And I stood there in awe. Stood there in awe that she had someone wanted me to say a few words for her team. When I was in awe to be in her presence, she had respect, as you said. She had that toughness. She had that discipline, but she was so fear, and that's what made her unique and made her special. She is going to be missed.